Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In recent episodes, we have been exploring the book of Judges from a mimetic perspective. Throughout the book, we have seen Israel led progressively into mimetic idolatry as successive judges become subduced by their own mimetic desire. The last of these judges, Samson, becomes completely consumed by his own mimetic desire, which ultimately precipitates his downfall. After his death, everyone in the community does whatever is right in their own eyes. In other words, by pursuing the object of their mimetic desire, the people of Israel imitate Samson, who decided that pursuing forbidden Philistine women was right in his own eyes. In the last episode, we saw Micah seduced by his own desire as he steals 1,100 pieces of silver from his own mother. With this money, he creates and furnishes his own personal shrine and even hires a Levitical priest to be a father to him. In a poetic twist, Micah's priest and sacred objects are stolen by a band of raiding Danites who imitate his desire to have their own personal shrine that they might be able to pursue the desires of their own heart. This narrative depicts a mimetic desire spreading rampantly throughout Israel as people employ force to steal objects of their desire from others. Worse still, all this pleases the heart of the Levite, who we learn is actually a descendant of Moses, Israel's prophet par excellence. Without a righteous king to lead them in a healthy direction, the people wantonly follow the desires of their own hearts without any constraint or self-control. As we continue reading in chapter 19, we shall see the rampant imitation of mimetic desire generate conflict within the community, leading to grotesque acts of violence. In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judea. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judea, and was there for some months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys. And she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day he arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man arose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day, he arose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, and his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, the day has now waned toward evening. Please spend the night, and tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. But the man would not spend the night. 
he arose and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is, Jerusalem. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of the foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to his young man, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjamites. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the traveller in the open square. And the man said, Where are you going? And where do you come from? And he said to them, We are passing from Bethlehem in Judah, to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went to Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to the house of the Lord, but no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys, with bread and wine for me and your female servant and the young man with your servants. There is lack of nothing. And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet and ate, and drank. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man that came into your house, that we may have sex with him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly, since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out to you now. Violate them and do what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made him go out to them. They raped and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house, where her master was, until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, we're leaving. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. The grisly scene opens with another Levite vagabond who travels to Bethlehem to take a concubine for himself. We're not sure why the woman is referred to as a concubine rather than a wife. 
My guess is that this arrangement singles another breakdown in Israel's social structure, as even the holy Levites forsake the commitment of marriage to engage in casual sexual relationships. As readers, we must assume that if the Levites have abandoned their social mores, then the rest of Israel is even worse, as everyone does whatever is right in his own eyes. The Levite and his concubine indulge their desire engaging in a sexual relationship with each other. However, the Levite's concubine soon loses interest, sets her desire upon someone else, and returns to her father's house to pursue sexual relationships with others. Her actions further portray Israel's moral decline as we must assume everyone else in Israel is doing likewise. After all, this woman comes from Bethlehem in Judea, the tribe from which King David came. Recall also that in the previous two chapters we saw a Levite from Bethlehem seduced by his desire for the glory and honour of ministering to the tribe of Dan. The corruption of the Levites and Judahites in these chapters paints a very ominous picture for the rest of society. Having been rejected by his concubine, the Levite pursues and attempts to seduce her in the hope of securing the object of his sexual desire. His desire for her is only inflamed by her rejection, which becomes an obstacle to his desired object. The concubine's actions are also an obstacle to her father's desired object of honour. Having given his daughter to the Levite, the father's honour is soiled by her own infidelity. Eager to restore his own honour and mend the rift between them, the young woman's father offers the Levite generous hospitality and sends his daughter away with her lover. Notice the narrative does not tell us if the young woman was willing to go with her Levite lover or not. It's beside the point, really. As in many biblical texts, women remain passive in such negotiations as fathers and suitors decide the future of their sexuality. Through her infidelity, the young woman rebels against this system, only to be fed back into it by her own father, who betrays his daughter to restore his own honour. Again, in chapter 17, we saw Micah betray his own mother by stealing her money. These chapters portray Israel's moral decline as various characters forsake their family and sexual partners to pursue the various objects of their desire. Mindful of the danger, the Levite refuses to lodge at the Gentile-occupied city of Jebus, rather opting to seek hospitality in Gibeah, in the territory allotted to the Israelite tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin's depravity soon becomes apparent when the Levite and his party are forced to spend the night in the city square because no one offers them hospitality. Eventually, a sojourning Ephraimite himself, another displaced person, offers lodging to the Levite and his party. At first, the foreigner's kindness offers a glimmer of hope, but that hope is short-lived. The Levite and his Ephraimite host become drunk, while the men of Gibeah outside become intoxicated with mimetic rivalry and violence. In the midst of a mimetic crisis, the scapegoat mechanism prompts the men of Gibeah to search for a victim upon whom they may vent their collective violence. To this end, they surround the Ephraimite's house, demanding that the old man give up the Levite and allow them to rape him. 
By sexually feminizing the Levite, the mob intend to dishonor and degrade him. The old man pleads with the mob, attempting to appease them by offering his young daughter and the Levite's concubine to satisfy their carnal pleasure. The scene is an obvious echo of Lot's experience in Sodom as he attempts to appease an angry mob who also want to have sex with his foreign visitors by offering his virgin daughters as a substitute. Although the Levite expected better treatment from the men of Gibeah, they have become just as depraved as Sodom and Gomorrah, the quintessential example of a city utterly consumed with mimetic violence. Our narrative differs somewhat from the account of the incident at Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, in which Lot's angelic visitors blind the angry mob so that they are unable to find the door of the house. But in Judges 19, the mob actually receive their victim. When they surround the house, the Levite selfishly protects his own honor by thrusting his concubine into the crowd as a substitute for himself. Here we see another example of a male betraying his relationship with a female to pursue the object of his desire. For the sake of male honor, the young woman has been exploited by the two major male figures in her life, her father and her lover, and this betrayal ultimately precipitates her death. Just as Samson's own mimetic desire and rivalry precipitate his own death, so too male desire and rivalry end up killing the concubine. This warning sounds a salient warning about the destructive effects of mimetic rivalry on those closest to us. Notice the way darkness and light is juxtaposed in this story to represent the climax and resolution of the crisis respectively. The concubine is raped and abused all through the night, which symbolizes the mob's venting of their collective violence. The crisis is finally resolved at daybreak when the young woman dies and collapses at the door of the Ephraimite's house. In this story, the young woman plays the role of a scapegoat as she is violently murdered as a substitute for the lives of everyone inside the house. Through her death, the darkness of the mimetic crisis is resolved, ushering in the daybreak when people can once more see the consequences of their mimetic violence. In the morning, when the Levite prepares to continue his journey, he coldly commands his concubine to get up and follow him. When the Levite discovers she is dead, he callously picks up the, her lifeless corpse and places it on his donkey to continue his journey. When he returns home, the Levite nonchalantly dismembers his concubine's corpse, carving it into 12 pieces and sends these body parts throughout Israel as a call to revenge. While this act might seem like quite an odd means of uniting a nation against a common enemy, an earlier Mari document Badi Lim suggests his king issue a call to arms in a similar manner. It reads, To my lord speak, Badi Lim, your servant, speaks as follows. For five full days I have waited for the Hananians, but the people do not gather. 
The Hananeans have arrived from the steppe and established themselves among the settlements. Once, twice, I have sent word to the settlements, and the appeal has been made. But they have not gathered together, and for the third day they have not gathered. Now, if I had my way, a prisoner in jail should be killed, his body dismembered and transported to the area between the villages as far as Hudnim and Apam in order that the people would fear and gather quickly. I could make an attempt in accordance with the command which my Lord has given to carry out the campaign quickly. In this document, the king's servant, Badi Lim, petitions the king for permission to dismember a prisoner and transport his dismembered corpse throughout the villages to call the armies to gather together for battle. The unlucky prisoner becomes a type of scapegoat who is executed to draw the allied armies together as one and unite them against a common enemy. From a somatic perspective, the dismembered corpse might elicit disgust and revulsion within the armies of the Allies. As we have discussed in earlier episodes, Disgust is a primitive rejection response which often plays a role in the identification and motivation to persecute scapegoats. Buddy Lim hopes to harness this disgust and revulsion to inspire the scapegoating of his enemies. The Levites' actions in our passage seem to serve a similar purpose as they bear a gruesome testimony to the men of Gibeah's immoral, despicable violence. By these means, the men of Gibeah are portrayed as violent, immoral monsters who must be purged from the land. Even in her death, the young concubine continues to be used as a pawn of mimetic rivalry perpetrated by men. The people's comment that such a thing has never been seen in Israel further emphasizes Israel's moral decline as they become just as depraved as the people around them. As we read on from chapter 20 verse 1, we see that the Levites' tactic proves successful. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Bathsheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mitzpah. And the chiefs of all the people, all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mitzpah, and the people of Israel said, Tell us, how did this evil thing happen? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. And all the people arose as one man, saying, 
None of us will go to his tent and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel and a hundred of a thousand and a thousand of ten thousand and bring provisions for the people that when they come they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. Without a leader to unite them, everyone in Israel is doing whatever is right in his own eyes. In other words, the people have wantonly pursued their mimetic desire without hindrance or restraint. However, no one knows what they should desire, so they look around and imitate the desires of those around them. As everyone imitates the desires of everyone else, people strive and compete for the same desired objects, which generates rivalry throughout the community. This rivalry culminates in a mimetic crisis which has now finally reached its climax. As the scapegoat mechanism prompts Israel to look for a scapegoat to blame for the crisis, the Levite calls the people to band together against the tribe of Benjamin. He villainizes Benjamin and portrays the tribe as a group of immoral monsters who raped and killed his concubine while omitting the fact that he willingly gave her up to the angry mob. The people then prompt all his fellow countrymen to give their counsel and advice. In other words, he hopes to unite Israel against the Benjamites that he might exact his vengeance upon them. In the end, the Levites' efforts are successful as Israel all band together as one man against the Benjamites. The passage repeatedly emphasizes that the tribes came together as one under the sign of the scapegoat concubine. Because of Israel's lack of leadership and their propensity to pursue their own desire, a civil war now seems imminent. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.